The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump right into it this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for gathering a people from all across this city that you call your church. I thank you for placing a special grace upon those who gather together, those who are under the authority of the church, those who are inside the body of Christ, that there's a special blessing found here. And there's a special blessing upon your word that's when it's proclaimed with boldness, you produce fruit. Spirit of God, I ask you to take care of my mind, take control of my mind and think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. I ask that you would anoint the ears of those who hear that this is foolishness to those who sit in darkness, but this is like fresh bread and this is like fresh smelling flowers to those who are, who you've regenerated and who are sitting in light. So I pray that you would move on their hearts this morning and that you would motivate us to obedience and motivate us to worship in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, brother. That feels good. Now, we are in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we've been going through the whole armor of God. We've been talking uh, verse by verse, week by week, going through the armor of God. Today, we're going to be in the last chunk of this scripture. And then next week, we will be finishing up the book of Ephesians. We've been in this book almost a year, about nine months. So we're finishing up this book next week. It's, it's a grand occasion. I'm pretty excited about finishing up the book. And then... We'll be starting a a pivotal series for Sacred City, and it's called Sacred City DNA. And it's going to be all about what we believe, how we organize ourselves as the church, who Christ has made us to be, and then how we live because he, how he made us to be. Now listen, this is big for Sacred City. We don't say, go act like a Christian. Go do Christian things. Don't be like one of those bad sinners. Go be a Christian. We don't say things like that. That's, that leads to legalism and moralism. What we believe is if you understand who Christ has made you to be, then you will live out certain ways. If I know that I'm a missionary, I'm going to live like a missionary. If I know I'm a servant, I'm going to live like a servant. If I know I'm a son or a daughter of God, I'm going to live like a person in the family of God. If I know these things, then rhythms flow out of my identity of who I am and it's not legalistic. Okay, so this is very important. If you've been coming maybe just on Sundays and you're not in part of a missional community, it's going to be vital for you to be over here the next six, seven weeks uh, to hear about why we organize the way we do. Um, we're not creating any, we're not trying to do anything new and fresh. We're really just trying to organize ourselves um, the closest to obedience of Scripture that we can possibly can. That's our goal, that's our desire to be people under the word and shaped by the word. So I encourage you, uh, come on out, get ready for that series. I know it's, it gets hot in the summer. There's a lot of stuff going on. You'll be out Frisbee golfing and golfing and vacation and all the stuff. And I ask you to um, make gathering together with your believers, with your family, make that a priority. Paul specifically says to not forsake the gathering together of the body. So we can easily do that when we get busy. And I'm just, gonna, I'm just challenging and admonishing you today not to make that happen during the summer. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start in uh, verse 18. If we could stand one more time, we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get a Bible. We have some sitting in the back, right by the last chair in the back. You can pull it up on your iPhone. We use the English Standard Version, ESV, to go through this. Uh, we are a little different. I want you to be following along in the text. I want you to see how I'm preaching verse by verse, how all my points are coming from the text, not from some soap opera I watched this week, okay? I want you to see that. Let's go. Verse 18. When you're there, stay there. All right. 
praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This week, Joel, our worship leader, Joel and I graduated from the Porterbrook Institute, which is our two-year theological and character development program that we use to train up future leaders in our church. Um, The president of Grace University in Omaha spoke at our graduation, and a couple things that he said really hit me hard. They really challenged me, and they really resonated deeply with me. See, I'm a pusher. That's my spiritual gift, if you didn't know, okay? I push. When I can't push anymore, I get out in front and I pull, all right? God has given me the ability to see things kind of that are coming down the road. I I can see potential in people. I can see potential in situations. I can see potential in businesses. I just have this gift of seeing kind of future things to, to, you know, not that I see, oh, you're going to have, you know, all this weird stuff. Not that. I just see potential. I see future. Uh, I saw this church before any of you ever heard the name Sacred City Church. I saw it in my mind. Right now, I see a city renewed for the glory of God. I see a city filled with disciples of Jesus who make good culture, who worship the one and only God, who love their neighbors, who share their faith, and who know how to fight the fight of faith really well. They know how to do stuff over the long haul. They know how to put in the time and the dedication and the commitment to still be standing six months, a year, 10 years, 20 years down the road. So I believe the Spirit of God has given me this vision for our city. And he's also given me this spiritual gift of pushing. I guess he calls it leadership, but it feels more like pushing and pulling most of the time to me. The problem with this gift is that I'm a sinner and I screw it up a lot. I push too hard. Sometimes, most of the time, sometimes I don't push hard enough. (laughs) Some of you are probably going, yeah, I think he really needs to stop pushing. No, I'm not going to stop pushing. You probably need to be pushed. If you're saying he probably pushes too much, you're the one I'm trying to push. Okay. You're like a motorcycle that the battery's gone dead and I'm trying to push you and pop the clutch. And one day, eventually you'll ride on your own. All right? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to motivate you. I'm trying to push you. I'm trying to be like a, the eagle that gets in its nest with its little eaglets and it pushes them out of the nest and they have no idea how to fly, but sometime between the nest and the ground, they learn quick. Right? And, ju- and just in case, the eagle will swoop down and save them and let's do it again. All right? That's what I'm trying to do. That's why I push. All right? I really don't enjoy pushing. It's just part of my job and calling from God. And listen, this culture has really removed much of our motivation, especially the motivation of men. It's removed the motivation. It's removed incentive. It's removed calling. It's removed great weight that we're supposed to carry as men. It's removed responsibility. And it's reduced us to permanent boys. They just stay in this this permanent adolescent phase. Men, you need to be pushed. 
You need to put down the controller. Video games are a waste of your life. You need to get off of Facebook. You need to stop looking at porn. You need to stop filling your life with absolute garbage and prolonging your adolescence. Whoa, that's harsh, Justin. Let me explain. It's time to grow up. It's time to take responsibility. It's time to carry some weight. One of my pastors says, men are like trucks. They drive straighter and truer when they're under a heavy load. See, the culture is selling you a pipe dream. They're telling you that you will find your identity, listen to this, on the road out there. You want to know who you are? Go looking, go searching. It's on the road. It's down the road. It's away. It's out there. It's where your identity's found. It's where your meaning's found. It's where your purpose is found. It's a moving target. 50 years ago, the home with a white picket fence and kids running around and a happy wife and a loving husband and a hardworking husband, that was the picture of the American dream. That's what every man was working for. One day, I'll buy a home, I'll have the fence, I'll have the wife, I'll have the kids, I'll have the job. There it is, American dream. Today, the culture has shifted the American dream. No longer is it a home, now it's the open road. You watch commercials, everything's about, this will give you freedom to get on the road. This will be out, your, your identity's found out there. Excitement's found out there. Rev it up and get out there. It's the call of the, the road, the, the Harley Davidson generation. It's get out there, find your identity out there. I see this over and over in this generation. Listen to this. They're transient. Their appetites for an entertainment are insatiable. They don't know how to be committed to anything. Look, they know, this is, this is what's so crazy. They know something's wrong. This isn't right. Why am I never happy? Why am I never fulfilled? They know something's wrong, but they're swallowing technology and sin by the bucket full, but don't understand why they're still not happy. More Facebook friends don't fix it. More pornography doesn't make them feel any more fulfilled. They bought the $200 purse, but they still feel incomplete and empty. Now it's 25 bucks in the garage sale. They think changing their environment will somehow cure this malediction. So they change schools, they change jobs, they change cities as soon as they get bored. Something's not wrong, something's not right. I'm bored, must be my job, must be my friends, must be my church. Must be my job, must be my family, must be. The problem is always external. It's never internal. The Bible says your problem is sin. So the Bible says your problem is you have a hole the size of God in your soul and nothing will fill it but Himself. You can go searching for years on the road and never find it. This generation doesn't understand what they're for. Do you hear that? Oh, get close to me and you're going to die. <laughs> this generation doesn't understand what, they, what they're made for. What are you for? My motorcycle, what's it made for? It's made to ride. Right? A hammer, what's it made for? It's made to hit things. What are you made for? You were created with a purpose. You were built. Listen, here's what you're made for. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
And that life isn't found on the road. That life is found in the church. Inside the body of Christ. And I don't mean like, we like to like, well, maybe it's the big C church, like we're all the family of God. No, 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 no. The body of Christ, the local body of Christ is where your identity is formed and found. The lie is that freedom is found on the road. I don't want to be held down. I want to be loosey-goosey. I want to be on the road and finding my own freedom and be able to do whatever I want to do. But the, the road leads only to addiction. It leads to shallow relationships. It leads to a hyperactivity that prevents a person from ever being settled and happy. I read a quote, I, and I can't, it's just coming off the top of my head, so I can't remember who said it. Um, but he, it's someone, some old dead guy. He said, all of our problems stem from one thing, the inability to sit quietly in a room. Nine times out of ten, your boredom pushes you to sin. I'm bored. And you're going to go chase something out there, something on the road. See, I'm going to keep pushing you until you see the foolishness of the road and the beauty of a life lived for Christ as a part of the body of Christ. I'm a one-trick pony. That's all I got. Every week I'm going to tell you this. Every week I'm going to say, you're chasing that. Christ is better. You think getting an education will will give you meaning and give you purpose. Christ is better. Christ is all. Every week, it's all I got. It's all I got. Man, here it is. Here it is. Love Jesus. Give him everything. Okay, push all your chips into the table and then throw the car keys in as well, right? Give him everything, push it all in. Then, here you go, men, step two. Okay, first one, Jesus is everything. He's my savior, he's my Lord, he's all, he's the ruler of my life, he's my meaning, Christ is all. If I want to find identity, I find it in him. If I want to find meaning, I find it in him. Christ is everything. First step one, step two. Pick a job, any job for the time being, and work freaking hard six days a week. Six days a week, work hard, rest one day. Give generously to the church. Then marry a wife, love her well, make babies, love them and train them well to love Jesus and to serve the church. Let's start with that. In this, this is a life well lived. This is a life lived for the glory of God. Don't try to be famous. Don't be a schemer always looking for a quick buck, trying to find that next pyramid scheme that you're going to be a millionaire in 90 days or less. You're calling all those little signs on the side of the road that says, sell your house fast for quick cash or learn how to make a million dollars. Quit it. Stop being a schemer. Shoot for faithfulness, not superstardom. Shoot for faithfulness, not superstardom. And this is where the president of Grace University comes in. He made this statement this week as we were graduating. He said, spend, and this is big, this was big for me. Spend the first 45 years of your life 
in training for the next 20 most fruitful years. This was a man who was in his 60s, who has lived his life well, who had served the church, who had served Jesus, who had been the president of a university, who had spent 20 years as the president of a university, and now he was retiring to go be, work full-time at the church. He had a good history. He had a good track record. He'd been faithful to what God has given. And he's saying this, men, there's a discipline and there's a delight in delay. The first 45 years is meant to be a training period for the next 20, from 45 to 65, where you're free to be the most fruitful. Rocked me. See, I'm 32. I've got 13 more years of training left. I've got two kids with one due anytime from my wife, not my mom. I know I confused some people last week in my prayer. You know, it's always bad when you're praying and then people start laughing and you have no idea why they're laughing. All right, I meant to say the mother of my children, not my mother. All right, very awkward. See, listen, my wife is my best friend and the love of my life and we're in a tough season right now. Things are tough. Now, they're meant to be tough. We're about to be outnumbered, okay? We're switching, right now we're switching from a man-to-man defense to zone defense, okay, in the home. I don't know how that's going to play out. I might have to start throwing things. I don't really know. If I got a baby in my arm and he's, I don't know how I'm going to do this. The, le- the, the child leash is looking really attractive right now. See, my family is my priority right now. The church comes second. I'm learning how to love my wife well. I'm learning how to shepherd my kids. I'm learning how to live as a missionary to this city. But if I am faithful now, God willing, I will be positioned rightly to be really fruitful from 45 to 65. And I'll make a great impact in this generation for the kingdom of God. That's my goal. Keep my head down. Keep plugging away. Stay faithful. And then a season of fruitfulness will open up. That's my desire. But if you spend the first 45 years of your life living like a fool who can't hold down a job, who's trying to find his meaning in every one night stand and every hookup and and his physical appearance, he just spends hours at the gym for no other reason because he finds his whole identity in how he looks. And you can't serve a church faithfully. You're going to have nothing to offer anybody at 45. You're going to be broke at 45. You're going to be a joke at 45. But if you pick a job, if you serve Jesus faithfully, if you live a life devoted to him, just one step at a time, faithful obedience right now, I believe God willing, when you're 45, you're going to look back and you're going to have a solid foundation to do ministry and to be fruitful and to make an impact into the kingdom of God. I am am more and more convinced that my job is to be faithful, be fruitful, die and be happy. See, we, we see this song, by the blood of a son, we have overcome the grave. Christians don't even get that. They don't even believe that. This world has nothing to offer me. My identity is found in Christ. And when I die, I go to be with him and I get to see him and I'm complete and I get to walk with him and talk with him. And I find ultimate meaning and joy after this not life, not in it. 
I get to participate in the kingdom of God, but it's always like a glimpse. It's always just like a passing shadow because of the indwelling sin in us and, and the presence of sin on this earth. Man, be faithful, be fruitful, die and be happy and be with Jesus. As opposed to believe the lie that more women will make me happy, more drugs will make me happy, more accomplishments will make me happy, more trophies on my shelf will make me happy, more money will make me happy, more music will make me happy, more clothes will make me happy, more cars will make me happy. More YouTube videos will make me happy. More pornography will make me happy. And live in that cycle. Live in that cycle for a decade, for 20 years, and just realize 20 years down the road that you are broke. Not just financially. You're broke spiritually. You're broke emotionally. You have no idea what it means to live self-sacrificially and love another person at your expense. Completely self-focused world. That's Hell on earth. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that the reason life is like this is life is war. We have an enemy who wants to keep us from being fruitful for the kingdom. We have an enemy who wants to lie to us and say, your sin's not that big of a deal, just keep doing it. Hey, maybe, maybe there's some secret scripture that you need to find out that gives you an out, gives you an excuse. Justin says that about everybody else, but you're the exception. Because you had a bad child upbringing, you can go from job to job to job to job. You get the pass. Absolutely not. You have a new father now, no matter what your old father did. You have a perfect father, a heavenly father, who parents you perfectly. And if you don't know how to prepare for this battle, Paul says, you're going to wind up as a casualty. He lists the armor of God and he says, if you don't put on the armor of God every day, you don't put this on, you're going to wind up as a casualty in this war. We spent the last two weeks talking about the spiritual battle and the armor that has given, God has given Christians to prepare them for the war. And today we come to the most important topic. Today we come to the most important topic on this whole armor and this whole idea of spiritual warfare. You know what it is? The answer, surprisingly, is not another piece of armor. God, he's already given us all the armor. Give us a lot of defensive armor and he gave us one offensive piece of armor. That's the sword of the spirit. Our kids are going to be talking about that, I think, this week. But he's given us this. Listen to this. The answer to staying on your feet in the battle, the answer to being, being around and being standing while hundreds of thousands of people are dead on the battlefield, the answer to having a faith that can sustain us and that can, we can be faithful over the long haul, the answer is prayer. Spirit-driven prayer. Listen to this. Uh, this is a poem written by William Cowper. He was an 18th century poet and hymnist. He said this, restraining prayer, that's in the liturgy as well. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer keeps the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Prayer is not another weapon. Prayer is how we use the whole armor of God. Listen, I want you to hear this today. There's this idea running rampant today that one can put on the armor of God once and for all. 
I want you to hear this because many of you believe this. You don't even know you believe it, but you believe it and it works itself out. What you believe works itself out in how you behave and how you live your life. There's this idea going around that, oh, I became a Christian. I put on the armor of God. I'm good. I can just walk around and bing, everything bounces off me. Satan can't touch me. I'm, I'm all right. I'm good. It's not true. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Every single piece of God's armor, excellent though it is in itself, will not suffice us and will not avail us unless always and at all times we are, listen to this, living in a living relationship to God and receiving strength and power from him through prayer. None of the armor of God matters at all if you're not in an intimate relationship with him through prayer. The way you use the armor, the way you appropriate the armor, the way you put on the armor, the way you make sure the armor works against the the schemes of the enemy is through constant prayer. So many people who profess to be Christians, believing that walking down an aisle and asking Jesus into their heart was the only decision that, that they ever really need to make. Make Jesus my savior, then, going, then go back to do things my way. Thanks for getting that eternal damnation thing off my shoulders, God. Now will you really do what I want you to do? I didn't want to go to hell. I got that taken care of. Now I can go live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do. The majority of professing Christians live that way in our society today. Make the decision to, be a, to, to make Jesus my, my savior, live however I want to live. Over and over in the scriptures, God says, this is not the case. Jesus must, listen, be Lord over your life if he is to be your savior. Saying a prayer one time is not adequate for the battle that we're facing. We need constant prayer in communion with God through the spirit. This is our battle cry. This is what gives us strength. We have been adopted into the family of God, though we're wretched sinners and we have nothing good to offer God. By sheer grace, he chose us and brought us into the family of God, canceled the wrath of God that was ready to be poured out on our behalf because we're sinners. He canceled that wrath. He diverted that wrath, took it on himself, became our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. And God adopted us as family. And now we have the ability to go to God in prayer through the Spirit and through the Son. And Paul says, that is one of the marks of a true believer. Last week, I told you that the armor of God was pretty much doctrine. It was pretty much good doctrine. Do you understand what truth is? Do you understand what righteousness means? Do you understand what faith is? Do you understand what what the gospel of peace is? Do you understand these pieces of doctrine? Because these pieces of doctrine guard us. They protect us. When Satan wants to condemn me and convict me, when I understand where my righteousness is found, I can divert that attack. But Paul is about to turn that, what I said last week, Paul's about to turn it just a little bit on its head. Knowing right things about God is not enough. We must know God personally. Knowing him and loving him is our great calling. Listen, God is no chump. He knows our hearts 
If we are coming to him just to get something else, he knows that and he calls it what it is. He calls it idolatry. Many people come to Christ because they want to find a spouse. They come to Christ because they want something else more than they really want him. They don't want him. They want heaven. They don't want him. They want truth. They don't want him. They want a family and a community. And God says heaven wasn't made for people who want something else. Heaven was made for people who love God. And Paul says, people who love God pray in the Spirit at all times. Listen, the ultimate test of my understanding of Scripture, and this is very convicting to me, the the ultimate test for my understanding of Scripture is how much time I spend in prayer. Since theology is the study of God, the more theology I know, the more I should be driven to know God more through prayer. If all my knowledge doesn't lead me to prayer, something's wrong. We see this in the life of Jesus. He's the second member of the Trinity. He's the God-man, the Son of God, born in flesh. And listen to this. He spends an inordinate amount of time in prayer. Before he chose his 12 apostles, he prayed all night long. Many times he wakes up before the sun comes up to spend time in prayer. He says, I do nothing except that which my father has commanded and told me to do. When he gets betrayed, he's in the garden. What's he doing? He's praying, praying with such fervency and such intensity that his sweat, his capillaries literally burst and he's sweating blood. Jesus was a man of prayer. If the son of God needed to pray, doesn't it follow that we need prayer? It's lifeblood to us. It's vital to our relationship with Christ. I want you to see from the text this morning how we should pray. Okay? It's called, I call it the four alls. The four alls from scripture. So I want you to look at this. Go to verse 18. Right away. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit. All right? Praying at all times in the spirit. Now this is a little bit freeing for most of us. If you think... That like, like some people, you have to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning and spend an hour of God, out an hour with God every morning. That's the only legitimate prayer. You're wrong. All right. Guys like Martin Luther, those guys, they're just they're on God's prayer A team. Let's just say that. Okay. He said, if I, I, I if I don't spend two hours in prayer with the Lord, I can't get on with my day, and I'm far too busy to to not spend at least an hour in prayer a day, and all these different things. Awesome. Okay. Amazing. But listen, praying at all times. That's the first all. Praying when you're walking, praying when you're driving, praying when you're at school, not just before tests, praying before dinner, praying at home, praying at the gym, praying, but you do praying when you come to church. That's why we do public prayers and public confession, praying at all times. We're people of prayer. We walk around in const- and we can be in constant communion with God our Father. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. Lit- literally, praying is participating in the life of the Trinity. 
The Spirit of God is inside of me that brings things to my attention, brings people to my attention that I should pray for, um, and it, it instructs me to pray in the Spirit. Now listen, through the Son. The reason I can go to God and I can have access to God is because Jesus Christ has died for me and applied His work and His blood to my soul. If you're an unbeliever in this room and you're not living a life of Christ, you have no reason to believe that God hears your prayer. The only prayer that God will hear is repentance, coming to him in faith. But ultimately, our prayers end in God the Father. He's the one we pray to. So praying, number one, pray at all times. Second one, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now listen, that in the Spirit, that's also not just like these random prayers. One thing that gets on my nerves and and listen, we're all rookies when it comes to prayer. Nobody's really an expert at prayer, but I'm just going to let you know. Um, Jesus rebuked people who babble, who repeat things over and over. And our father knows his name. Okay. So it'd be really awkward if I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, Amanda, 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 would you really cook dinner? Amanda, 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 um, I'm really need some help. Amanda, Amanda, Uh, Amanda, can you talk to the kids? Amanda, 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 honey, Amanda, can you do that, Amanda, Amanda? But we pray like that. Father, 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 Holy Father, uh, Jesus, Father, thank you, Lord, Father. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, glory, Father. That's babbling. He doesn't, he knows his name. He knows who he is. Pray to the Father and speak to him. All right? There's a prayer in the Spirit. It's not rehearsing something that I I heard one time. It's not praying for the people in the room. It's speaking to God, my Father. That's praying in the Spirit. One other way to pray in the Spirit is to pray Scripture. The Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And if I'm speaking Scripture and I'm praying Scripture, then I'm praying in the Spirit of God. Second, all. Verse 18. With all prayer... So praying at all times in the spirit, look, with all prayer and supplication. This is another one that's pretty freeing. There's all types of prayer and supplication. Supplication, some of us maybe only use supplication. Supplication just means asking for things, asking for God to do specific things. God, help me. God, save this person. God, move here. Asking God for specific things is supplication. That's good, but there's all prayer. There's all different types of prayer. There's prayers of thanksgiving. If you don't thank God often in your prayer, you need to start doing that. Just one of the things that we do in our missional communities is we pray evidences of grace. God, thank you for moving this week. Thank you for bringing my brother to repentance. Thank you for healing this person. Thank you for showing me your grace through this person uh, accepting Christ or, or this person receiving healing or whatever it was. We just thank God often. It's a type of prayer. Another uh, type of prayer is public prayer. We come together and these words, now some people can say, well, that's just rote things. You're just repeating it off a screen. It's the scripture. Our prayers aren't out of my mind. They're pulled out of scripture. All of our confessions, all of our professions, all of our repentance, it's just regurgitated scripture. So there's something, and the apostles did this in the book of Acts. They got together, they prayed publicly together. That's a type of prayer. There's silent prayer. There's loud verbal prayer. There's, oh God, help me prayer, right? Prayer of desperation. There's many, many, many different types of prayer and it's really freeing. We don't have to be stuck in one type of prayer. So number one, pray at all times. Number two, praying uh, with all prayer and supplication. Now look, third one, to keep to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance. 
Perseverance. Stick to itiveness. Prayer. Why would I need perseverance? Why would he tell me to pray and I need perseverance? Because it's hard. Because there's times when I don't feel like he's answering me. Because there's times when I'm praying wrong things and he's not answering me or he's not giving me the answer that I want. I'm so thankful for the many unanswered prayers that God has stayed silent on in my life. Right? How many people did you, how many girls did you pray for before you married the one you've got right now? How many guys have you prayed for before you married the one you got right now? Right? Thank God for unanswered prayers. We prayed about a building. We prayed about a building across town. We thought God had given it to us. He did give it to us. Things fell through at the last moment. And you know what? I was like, I was so upset. I was so frustrated for a, for a moment. And I said, you know what? God's the sovereign. He's got all things in control. And then a week later, we got this building. And it's so much better than the last building. And how we grew, we grew so fast when we opened up a public service. We would have already had two, two services a week, two Sunday morning services at the other building. God knew. I was asking for something. He's like, nah. That's not good. Jesus said with his apostles, can you watch with me? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Can you watch with me one hour? The night he was betrayed, he's praying. Can you watch with me one hour? Why? Because prayer is difficult. Many times, you know, none of you guys can sleep. I call you and say, hey, why don't you pray for 20 minutes? Six seconds into your prayer, you're asleep, right? Prayer is difficult. It requires perseverance sometimes, all right? So, We've got pray at all times with all prayer and supplication. And the third thing, with all perseverance, stick to it. Stay, stay busy with God. Stay in his face. Stay consistent in your prayer. Stay constant. And then lastly, making supplication, look at this, for all the saints. For all the saints. Ian Bounds says, God does nothing except answer prayer. Why in the world would Paul put prayer in here? Listen, Paul assumes none of this above is going to happen unless people are praying. People aren't going to come to faith in our city unless we're praying for them. Your wife, your husband, your relatives, your friends, your families will not change unless you bring them before God in the spirit consistently and beg for their salvation and beg for their eyes to be opened and beg for them to receive the faith that saves them. God answers prayer. The reason I'm here today is because people were praying for my salvation. I had a mother and a father who were praying for my salvation. That's why this church exists. God does nothing except an answer to prayer. It's a crazy, crazy thought. And, And this is what Paul assumes here. Paul says this, pray for me that I preach the gospel with boldness and that I get a lot of fruit. He assumes that he can't preach the gospel with boldness. The brother is in prison right here. He's in a jail cell right here. He's saying, I need boldness and I can't. I don't have the strength in myself. I need God to answer your prayers. I need you to pray. I need God to answer those prayers and fill me with the strength that comes from God. What if we thought that? What if we lived our life like nothing is going to happen unless I bring it to God in prayer? 
God is sovereign. God is control, in control. Other people are praying. But what if we live that way? I think we'd be driven to our knees in prayer far more often. Instead of complaining about our relative or complaining about that coworker, we'd be driven to our knees in prayer. Listen, pray for all the saints. How often do you pray for our church? How often do you pray for our kids' ministry downstairs? If you have kids in our kids' ministry, we've got three, we've multiplied to three classrooms now. So we've got the sixth graders, I think are six years old or something, and up right next door in the little cottage next door. We've got all, we've got half of our church is downstairs serving right now. Okay, we've got a ton of kids. We've got a ton of volunteers down there. And listen, one thing that, that Amy and the team has done that I just, I absolutely love is they've built, they've got this curriculum that they're, they're not, you're not dropping your kids off to them and say, okay, go teach them to be little Jesuses. My kid, oh, he's driving me crazy. Fix them. Right? That's not what we do around here. We partner with parents to shepherd their kids. So one thing that Amy and the team has done is they've got this curriculum. They teach them downstairs. They go over a scripture. They memorize things. They, they do all that. They have fun. Then they give you, oh, I love it. I love it when my son brings it home. Gives me this little folder every week. Tells me what he learned. Tells me how I can further that. How I can teach him that. How I can make it real to him. How I can pray for my son. How I can uh, teach him and guide him and shepherd him in the ways of the Lord throughout the week. So one thing that we, we do is at dinner time we bust that baby out. I say, what did you learn? I can't remember, right? Well, let's see. What did you talk about? Oh, Jesus. Okay, there we go. That's good. You talked about Jesus. What else? Uh, sword. He has a sword. Like it usually gets mixed up, right? Like Jesus has a sword. Oh, the sword of the spirit. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. And then it gives me a way to have a conversation, a faith conversation, a meaningful conversation that's more than what was on Zoomy Zoomy this morning, Okay gives me a meaningful conversation I can have with my son. It's brilliant for his discipleship. It's brilliant for his devotion. So parents, don't, don't take that paper, that resource that our staff has given you and God has given you, don't take that and throw it in the back seat. Take that and pray for your kids. Take that and shepherd your kids. Take that and walk with your kids. One of my fears is that you will spend more time developing their athletic ability than you will the spiritual sensitivity. The world doesn't need more athletes. The world needs more followers of Christ. The world doesn't need any more investment bankers right now. We need more Christians. Now, if you can be a Christian and an investment banker, Excellent. Right? Do it. Christ first, the church second, sports and all the other stuff down the line. We're responsible to teach and train our children that the the family of God is important. He gave us this family, the body of Christ. That's one way we can pray for our kids. Pray for our kids. Pray for our children's workers. If you uh, drop your kids off, we need more volunteers constantly. We ask you to serve. I think it's maybe once every six weeks or something like that. You could see Amy downstairs. They're doing a phenomenal job. And I'm just really stoked at how far our kids' ministry has developed in such a short time. God has been really gracious to us in that. You can pray for your family. You can pray for your friends. You can pray for your missional community. You can pray for your church. One thing that I do is my phone and my iPad and my computer has sticky notes. And what I do on these sticky notes, I put down 
Every person in my, in my family, every person uh, in my missional community, every person that I'm on mission to, um, and every person that God just brings up, I put down on the title of one of those sticky notes. And then under that sticky note, I wrote, write down the things that I pray for them specifically. Specific things that I pray for my daughter. How I want to see God develop this in her. How I, my son, I want to see God develop this in him. My wife, my, my friends, my family, my missional community. And I pray through those things. And in my time of the Lord, if I'm stuck in a meeting or before a meeting, somebody's late to a meeting, I'll pull that out. I'll I'll read that sticky note and I'll pray it. If I'm waiting in a a waiting room, I'll read that sticky note and I'll pray it. I'm redeeming the time and praying. And, And you know what? So many of those things get checked off. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorite parts about prayer is I get to go back and go, oh, he did that. Sweet. And I get to check it off and see how God's been faithful and God's answered our prayer. The fact that you're here this morning is an answer to prayer. The fact that some of you are being baptized, oh, it's an answer to prayer. The fact that some of you have made professions of faith in the last month or two months or three months, that's an answer to prayer. It's so exciting that our God is living and active and he's moving amongst us. And as he stirs us up to pray, he answers that prayer. And Paul closes with this. He says, pray for all saints and also pray for me. And I want to echo that this morning. Please pray for me. Pray for boldness to preach the gospel. Pray that I preach the gospel with clarity and conviction. Pray that I have perseverance. Pray that I stay faithful. Pray that I love my wife well. Pray that I serve my family well. Pray that I don't put the church in front of my family. Pray that that I don't start living like I work for you and I don't work for Jesus Christ. Pray that God keeps idolatry away from my heart. Pray that I don't run after money or, or success or other things. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. I'll just be honest and tell you right now, our church is so young and so new that if the enemy can take me out, he can take us out right now. Pray for me. Listen, we're a young church and we've got a lot going on. We have men in Porterbrook being trained to be leaders and church planners. We've got, I think, nine guys that just finished the first year, going on to the second year next year. We're going to have some videos and we're going to be promoting that coming up next year because we'll have a whole other group of men who want to be trained to be leaders in theological and character formation. We go out to Omaha once a quarter. We receive training. We come back weekly. We meet in cohorts. It's absolutely phenomenal. The growth I've seen in Joel, the growth I've seen in my life, the growth I've seen in the men across our church, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And there'll be a lot of promotion going on about that in the months ahead. It starts in September. It's great stuff. We have missional communities gathering all over our city, on mission to specific pockets of our city. We have fight clubs meeting in coffee shops, pubs, and homes all across our city to fight this fight of faith together. We've got discipleship trainings that happen each month. We've got Sacred City Seminary that happens on the last Sunday night of each month. We've got kids ministry. We've got our Sunday gathering. This young church needs prayer all across the board. We are, I can't believe it, in in this short of time, we launched public service in January. This is ridiculous that we've got this much stuff going on, that God's brought this much fruit to us, that we've got this many men stepping up and being faithful, this many women wanting to lead and wanting wanting to just serve and love and, and bless the city. It's been amazing to see what God's doing. 
But we need prayer. All of the great things that are going on here are not a result of our hard work and us staying busy. I don't sit at home and go, hmm, I've got a Thursday night. How can I fill that up? I really hate sitting down and relaxing. Absolutely not. Everything that we're doing is a work of the Spirit of God, and we need to be constant in our prayers for one another. We need to be constant in our prayers for our friends and our family members who don't know Christ. We need to be constant in prayer for the gospel to go forward in the Quad Cities. We don't want a big church. We want a better city. This passage convicts me, but it also comforts me. I find peace in being reminded that our fruitfulness and our faithfulness does not lie solely in our effort. Our fruitfulness and faithfulness is a gift of his spirit. And as Jeremiah said, when we seek him, we will find him. Our job is to seek him first and he'll take care of the rest. One step, one step, one step. Men, women, be faithful with the little. Be faithful with the time given. Be faithful with your youth. Be faithful with the season God's given you. Be faithful with the children he's entrusted to you. Be faithful with the responsibilities entrusted to you. Be faithful with it. Carry that weight. Carry it well. And if you're faithful, and it's his will, he'll reward you down the road with much. As we come to this table this morning, let's come to him in prayer. Let us repent. Let us come with thanksgiving. Let us come with joy in the power of the Spirit. Can I ask you something this morning? Can you, can you do some soul searching before you come to this table? Can you search your heart? Can you repent over prayerlessness? Can you repent over... Um, treating the, the body of Christ and the church of God with contempt? Can you repent over the, the sustaining and, and sin that keeps reoccurring in your life? Can you repent over that sin? Can you repent over the bitterness you have with your brother and your sister? Can you repent over those things? But listen, and then can you look to Christ? Can you see his body and his blood that was shed for you and remind, and remind yourself that his righteousness has been freely given to you. You don't stand before him this morning with a list of rights and wrongs and you're trying to weigh, am I a good person, am I a bad person? You come before him this morning and you say, I'm jacked up and I need Christ and I wear the righteousness of Christ through faith and God the Father looks at you through the shed blood of his son. Through the blood of his son, we've overcome the grave. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for teaching us this morning. I thank you for convicting us. I thank you for pointing us to the beauty in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you stir our hearts up for prayer. You stir our hearts up for repentance. You stir our hearts up for faith. You stir our hearts up for love and devotion to you, that we would learn how to glorify God and enjoy you forever. I pray that you would communicate grace to us through the body that was broken for us upon the cross and the blood of your son the sinless, spotless Son of God.
that was shed on our behalf for our sins in our place. You are a great God. You are a great Savior. Spirit, apply this work to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.